Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Starting a brand new series called It Is What It Is. Everyone say, It Is What It Is. Now, I love this statement. I'm not going to lie. Because this statement essentially like, just declares, Rob, Robert, like, it is like you can't change it. It just is like, it's basically you, like, you got to deal with it, right? Like, you ain't changing. Like, let me give you some it is what it is, what it is statements. Like, the cowboys are terrible. It is what it is. Like, it ain't changing it. You know, like, I love to stir the pot with Dallas fans. Them, them and Pittsburgh Steelers fans, they're, they're the funnest. Yeah, y'all out there, I know y'all. The best thing was to be out watching football games when never the Steelers would lose. The fans would literally act like their life was over. Like, it's the craziest thing. It's the funniest thing. So the Cowboys are terrible. It is what it is. Uh, let, me, uh, let me give you one more. Chick-fil-A is the Lord's chicken. It is what it is. Like, it is what it is. Like, Chick-fil-A is the Lord's chicken. It's just like it's sent down from heaven like manna. It's just beautiful. You go through the drive-thru. You get through in two and a half minutes. There'll be 17 cars there. You're getting through it. Like, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's just simply like there, there's no sugar coat, and you can't change it. You just got to accept it. And really, the truth is that is what the book of James, which we're going to be studying over the summer, pretty much is. The, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, who was one of the 12 disciples. His name was James, and this book is, he keeps it 100. There is no sugarcoating. There is no, hmm, I wonder what he meant. It is, it is what it is. Let me give you one scripture to kind of show you this point. This is James 1, 26. This is what it says. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. It is what it is. He ain't holding nothing back. He's like, yeah, you claim to be religious and you can't even control your tongue? It's worthless. Lord, tell us how you really feel, James. He doesn't hold back. And here's the thing. In this book this month, or excuse me, over the summer, because we're going to go through this verse by verse. We've got five chapters to walk through. But I'm telling you, if you engage, you stay engaged, even if during the summer you can't be here, you've got stuff going on, we know you travel, and different things like that. Stay engaged with the podcast. Stay, stay engaged. Stay engaged online. And in the same way, I challenge you to read Acts last month for your Bible reading plan. I want to encourage you to change it to James and read through the book of James as many times as you possibly can. In three months, that could be a lot. Because really, if you read through the book of James, you can, you can get through it in about 25 minutes straight through. But here's the thing. The more you read it, the more you see different things. How many of you have a favorite movie? Somebody, somebody shout out to me your favorite movie. Downtown Abbey. Downtown Abbey. I heard that. What? Top Gun. Top Gun. Banging movie. Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. Green Mile. Who said that? I like you. Because that is my favorite movie. Forrest Gump. And here's the crazy thing. This past week, I've seen it probably a hundred times. I mean, I mean. I could recite the whole movie. I, hello, my name is Forrest, Forrest Gump. I can even do a good Forrest Gump impression. Anyway, you know, 
But, but like I watched it again with my sons, and I'm literally crying. And my boy asked me, Dad, are you crying? No. No. Because you, when you walk through life, it helps you see things you've already seen differently. When I first saw the movie at 12 years old, I did not understand the pain that Jenny went through when she was looking at her childhood home and realizing the trajectory of her life was born out of the hell she experienced in that home. And as I've had to dig in and deal with some of that same stuff, it's hard for me not to feel emotional, even though I've seen it a hundred times. That's the way God's word is, though, guys. The more you dig in, your, your life changes. So the way you see scripture can even change, too. And you'll see things reading through it one time. You'll read through it uh, uh, again. You're walking through different things, and you'll start to see different things because you have different needs at, at that time. And that's the way God's word is, y'all. So don't get weary in reading the same book. Why? Because I'm telling you, as you dive in, you'll, it, it'll be like taking a jewel and seeing different sides of it. Okay? All right. So here's the thing, though. In James, you're going you're gonna to be hit with some truth. And what I need us to have is a deep appetite for truth. So here's what I want us to pray. Ready? Every, every, everybody repeat this after me. Say, Lord, give me an appetite for truth. Let's pray that one more time. Lord, give me an appetite for truth. And here's the thing, not subjective truth, objective truth. There's a big difference. We live in a culture that wants to operate by subjective truth, meaning what they think is truth is truth. Isn't that crazy? Like, we will take certain things and the sky's not blue. Well, that's, that's your truth, bro. No. <laughs> the sky is blue, brother. Like, but this is the way we can treat things. And, and it's like when we come to God's word, we have to lay down our subjective truth and submit to the objective truth. And objective truth means it is outside of you. It is above you. It is beyond you. And we live in a culture and, gener- and generation that want the feeling of transcendence but want to keep the autonomy. They want to know that there's something or somebody beyond them, but they don't want to give that something or somebody permission to speak into and direct their life. You can't have that with God. He is transcendent, and because he is transcendent, you must submit your truths to him and come into light and come into, into alignment with his objective beyond us, best for us truth. And that's what we're going to encounter in James. So I need you to have an appetite for it because it's going to hit you. And it's going to hit you hard. And if you don't want it, then you'll run from the very thing that some of you actually need. Some, here, here's, the, here, here's, the, here's the thing. is freedom. See, here's the, here's the thing. Truth. The truth will set you free, but it'll tick you off first. Another way I've heard it is the truth will set you free, but it will piss you off first. Right? Because some of us are like cats with water when we hear truth. And my heart is that that wouldn't be you or that wouldn't be our church. But as we dive into this thing, that we would, we would say, Lord, give it to us. We, we want truth even if it hurts. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, we're going to read it together. Would you stand up with me to honor God's word today? I'm going to preach fast. Is that okay? Can you listen fast? I stutter, so this could be interesting, me trying to talk fast. 
Uh, here's, here's the thing. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, it says this. This letter is from James, the slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes of Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It is what it is, right? Uh, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has... Okay. Siri just spoke the word of God. Look at, uh, look at God. <laughs> Get it, Siri. Always telling me crazy stuff anyway. It's about time you say some scripture. Right, Dominique? Come on. All right. So, all right. Where were we? Um, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, or ask our generous God, and he'll, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a, like a little wildflower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. All right, you can be seated. And we're going to dive in. I'm going to give you four reminders for those. James gives us four reminders for those walking through it. What I love about what James says is he says various trials of many kinds. He purposely doesn't name the trial because he knows our trials are as different as we are people. So what he's saying is, is I want to give you some reminders for those of you who are walking through trials. And it's not if you're walking through a trial, it's when you walk through a trial. There's three types of different people, those that are currently within a trial, those walking into a trial, and those walking out of a trial. So we're all going to be there. You will be there. And James wants to prepare us, and I want to prepare you today for reminders for those that are going to walk through or are walking through it. Everyone say it. It, it happens. Forrest Gump said it, said it, said it best. Four reminders. The first one's this. It is an opportunity for growth. You see the thing that James says. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind... Come your way. Consider it in a what? Opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What he's saying is as many people want to grow, but no one wants to get uncomfortable. Many people want to grow, but many people don't want to get uncomfortable. They want testimony without a test. They want to talk about the goodness of God, but many times being in a place where you talk about the goodness of God, you need to be put in a place where you actually need God. And many of us want to grow, but we don't want to be tested. Now, here's the thing. What I have seen is that it takes a while to process through and get to a point to where you see your various trials of whatever kind as an opportunity to grow. Why? Because when you have stuff happen that you control or that you didn't control, because you're thinking some of you are walking through stuff right now that you did not ask for. It was maybe passed down to you. Maybe it was genetics. So you are dealing with trials of various kinds you didn't ask for, but some of you are dealing with stuff you did ask for. Love, love, love you, but you've brought it on yourself. 
But that is not the point. Whether you brought it on yourself or whether it was something that was just passed down to you, it can take a while for us to get to the point to see that trial, that various trial as an opportunity for growth. And we've got to let that process happen because here's the thing, and just to give you an example from my life that I talk about often that has been a huge pain point, and that is stuttering. My whole life I've stuttered. And I've had good seasons with it, bad seasons with it. Being a stuttering person is just a deep emotional, self-mental, like it's, it's not just the physical aspect, it's all of the social, like it's, there's just a lot that goes into it that many people don't know. And so with that, it, it took me years to get to the point of seeing it as, God, why did you give this? I didn't ask for this. I looked down my family, I can only find one distant, distant, like aunt, like seventh aunt that stuttered, and then it falls on me. Was this like duck, duck, damn or something? <laughs> this is the way that I felt, though, for something I didn't want, something I can't control. It's taken me years to get to the point to not to, to see it, not to be mad at God or not to just be all up within myself, but to get to the point where I see it now as an opportunity. Here's the thing, feelings, feelings, you're going to have feelings when stuff happens. Feelings are not the enemy, but they are fallen. Meaning, we have a sin nature, and so we can feel stuff that isn't right or that isn't God, so it needs to be processed. And you know what I love? The book of Psalms gives you permission to process your feelings, whatever they are. Psalms is a book that is up and down, man. David is like this roller coaster. He's, he's like, God, you're the light of my life and the strength of my life, my firm foundation. The next verse, I hate my life. I hate that person. I hate everybody. And then at the very end of the psalm, he's like, but you are the strength of my life forever. You know, like brother, like, but you know what? He's processing his feelings, and I don't think James is saying here to deny your feelings, dismiss your feelings devalue your feelings, what he's saying is it will take time for you to get to a point where instead of you seeing a, a being a victim, you see it as you having an opportunity. That's good preaching right, right there. Because some of y'all were stuck in the victim mentality because of what's been handed to you or because of something dumb you've done. And instead of transitioning to this is a great opportunity to grow, you're stuck in the victim mentality keeping you in the same place. Because if you're a victim, that means you haven't fought back. Now, so here's the thing. Eventually, you have to get to a point where instead of asking, Lord, how can I get out of this? How, how can I get out of it? And you must transition to the point and say, Lord, what can I get out of this? How, how, how many of you have ever heard the term triggered? Uh-huh. Some of y'all... Some of y'all were triggered before you even came to church today. Before you even came to church today. And being triggered, right? So here's the thing. Triggered is an event or circumstance that is the cause of a particular response or emotional process. I believe that what happens is many of us view our problems or view our troubles of whatever kind the wrong way, and we become triggered by them, and the triggering leads to unhealthy patterns and processes that ultimately lead us to us not seizing the growth, oppor the growth opportunity presented within them. So, so while researching for this sermon, I came across something that was written by a biblical counselor named Andrea Lee. 
which is, which is really funny if you've been around our church because we have a, a worship leader named that. But she's a biblical counselor that specifically works with women. And she had an incredible piece that I want to read to you. It's somewhat lengthy, so I need you to engage and listen, but I promise you it's worth it. Okay? This is what she says. She says this. Counselees view a trigger as an event or circumstance that is the cause of a particular response or emotional process. As a counselor to women, here are some situations that I have encountered. And the thing is this, right? This is not specific to women. This, she's just one that specifically counsels women. So this is not just directed towards women. This is directed towards, all, towards, er, towards everybody, okay? That's what she says here. She says, it could be a mom who identifies her rambunctious toddler as a trigger. One energetic outburst and the mom is overwhelmed with exhaustion and, and despair. It could be a wife whose husband's typical response in a conflict is a trigger. One phrase or condescending look, and the wife is flooded with anger or hopelessness. It could be a young single woman who sees Friday nights as a trigger. She has been alone and miserable for many Fridays and now dreads the end of every week. In seeking to help these women, I explain to them that triggers do not cause their response. This so-called trigger is a reminder that tempts them toward a well-worn destructive thought pattern. The reminder is often associated with pain previous failures, past hurts, or current broken relationships. Women feel helpless because they don't know how to stop responding in a destructive way. I love to give hope by showing a new perspective on these moments. When we label someone or something a trigger, we shift the place of emotional control from our own heart to an external object. The connection between event and emotion can mistakenly lead us to think the trigger is a cause. Actually, we have developed habits of thoughts in response to pain that continue to lead to these predictable emotional conditions. Our despair, anxiety, and anger reveal that we are ignoring God and disregarding his promises as we respond to the brokenness around us or within us. Instead of thinking in terms of triggers, and here's, here is the cherry on top. Instead of thinking in terms of triggers, I want counselees to see certain situations and people as cues. My God. Signals, prompts, and reminders to begin a series of thoughts that are radically God-oriented. This shift in vocabulary begins to engage counselees in a process of repentance and trust when they are troubled by triggers. I want to focus in on this one statement. I want counselees to see certain situations and people as cues, signals, prompts, and reminders to begin a series of thoughts that are radically God-oriented. And I believe we have a lot of people that when that it happens that various troubles of whatever kind that keeps knocking on your door, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever, you have a process of being triggered where you now react in an unhealthy way, digging and keep burying trenches of unhealthy patterns. Instead of doing what James asked us to do, those various kinds of trials don't have to be triggers. They can be cues. For what? Growth. You got that annoying person at work. You're triggered. You want to cuss them out. They might even deserve it. You want to punch them. No, this isn't triggered. This is a cue for growth. Look at God. God has put this person here so I can grow. You'd be given a work responsibility that you don't know how to do. You'd be given a project you've never done before. Anger, rage, anxiety, fear. You're triggered. What if you saw it as a cue? Oh, my gosh. I can grow. 
said, consider it joy. I get to grow. Your child. You got something with your kid. Happens all the time. You don't know what the heck to do. You don't know how to treat him. You don't know how to respond. Jackson, thank you for being a cue <laughs> to help me grow, son. I appreciate that all the time. I don't know what to say, what to do. Think about a family situation you have that you did not control. You just inherited. And you got people that trigger you. Family, you got family members. And, and, and instead of viewing that as a trigger, what if you viewed it as, man, this, this is a cue to mature and grow the heck up in the faith. What if you have a physical handicap, a sickness, something that you couldn't control? And it could trigger. What if you said, Lord, this is a cue for me to grow? And, and not to say, like, this has taken me years to get to the point where I see stuttering as being a great opportunity to grow. I can tell you hundreds of things that stuttering has taught me. I didn't want to learn it. But when I got to the point of saying, God, why did you give me this? And I switched to, Lord, what can you teach me? What an opportunity for growth it's been. And what I want to say for you, it will be an opportunity for you to grow. So my encouragement is stop being triggered and start finding cues. Isn't that good? Isn't that freeing? Isn't that good? Because it will help you get through it, whatever it is. The second thought is this. You never handle it alone. Some of you just needed to come here today for this simple reminder, God's with you. You are not alone. And that's what James says. He says, hey, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. What James is saying is God is radically available. There's a book you need to add to your summer reading plan. It's called Being with God. Go ahead and put it up. Being with God, the absurdity, necessity, and neurology of contemplative prayer. Get out your phone, a, a picture of it, whatever. You need to read these books. The chapters are short. Why? Because they're, what he talks about with, with, within this book, and when I talk about you're never at it alone is the fact that you have a communication line to God 24-7. He's radically available and there to help. And, one of the, and, the fourth thing, and what this book talks about is the four different types of prayers we can pray, which is we can talk at God, we can speak to God, we can listen to God, or we can do what is best, what he calls be with God. Essentially saying is there is never a moment in your life where the presence of God is not available. And that's one, one thing, even when, when we talk about the presence of God being with us in our services, we've switched our prayers from saying, Lord, fill this place, to Lord, make us aware of your presence that is already here, because it's already here. We don't have to beg him or ask him. He is here. It's just, God, make us aware of the presence that is already there. And many times when you feel alone and by yourself, you aren't. It's just you don't have a cognizant awareness of the presence of God that is right there with you. He's radically available. This is one of the things that, that the author Jay Sherrill says here, he says, perhaps the great omission of being with God in prayer is what prevents the church from growing into the depths of God's heart for the world. Within a culture of external and internal noise, we must learn the rhythms and intimacy of contemplative prayer if we are to flourish. When asked to describe their prayer life, many people point only to the words they speak to God and the impressions they claim to feel from God. While these are part of prayer, they only begin to scratch the surface of being with God. The truth is that every day, Every moment of every day, the most significant reality in the entire universe is the radical availability of God's presence. Come on. 
Isn't that good news, friends? That when you're walking through it, you can have a God that hears you, loves you, knows you, and will respond to you. And it's not like you have to be, okay, you're only in God's presence when you're praying and reading your Bible in your prayer closet. Use his, the same presence is with you when you're at your job, in your car, doing your hobby, washing your car, wherever you are. The radical availability of God's presence is right there. And what James encourages us to do, he says, if you need, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. But that leads us into the third reminder which is uh, a couple slides over. Go to God first. Everyone say first. first. Go to God first with it. Because what, what James dives into here, right after he says, ask God, if you need something, ask God. But then he goes into the part where he talks on, but look, when you ask, you got to make sure you don't have undivided loyalties. You have to make sure that when you ask God, it is not one foot in and one foot out. You, you, have, you have got to make sure you don't go to God as a last resort. You go to him as a first priority. Because yeah. here's the thing. Whatever it is will expose what your default is. Whenever you're walking through it, it will expose what you go to first. I just need a drink to get the, just to kind of get the, get the whatever off. Where are them chips? Lord, I know these, this is your chicken. You bless your chicken. Bless these calories. Bless this bread. Bless this chocolate chip. Bless this chocolate shake. It's the Lord's chicken, but it can be a bad go-to. Your it will expose what you prioritize. And that's what James is saying here. He's, he's saying go to God first because what he, he's saying is like, and he uses the terms divided loyalty, unstable. And then he gives the example basically saying like those who are rich should not brag in what they have because when it happens, what you have normally doesn't matter. When you get the, di the diagnosis from the doctor, your 401k doesn't mean a load of squat. What's in your bank account doesn't matter. But what James is saying, it's not what you have, it's who you have. It's who you have. But it's typically it that will expose the shaky foundations that we are built on. And God will lovingly allow it in your life to help expose the shaky foundations that you are built on. And he'll do it with absolute love because he wants, he wants to give you many times not what you need or not what you want, but many times what you need. And many times you need reminders of who the ultimate source is. Many times we need reminders that we are finite and he is infinite. We need, we need reminders that we are not in control and he is in control. And James says, look, when you go to God, you go to him first. There is power in first. When I come home from work, I bypass my kids and go straight to my wife and give her a kiss because I want to communicate to these children that they are below the totem pole when it comes to my wife. She takes priority. And the best thing that I can show them is where they stand. And Jackson will tell you, hey, Jackson, is Jackson here? What's the order? 
Tell me, the top four. Yep. Mom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, huh? Well, me, it's kind of work. It's being, it's being a pastor. Yes, yeah, good job, guys. Give it up for Jack. But he said it. God's, God's first, my wife, then my church. And, and I, there's power in first. You can see this throughout the Old, the, the Old Testament. When God was forming a people to be his people that would share and show to the world who he was and what he would like, he gave them principles of first. He said this. He said, look, if I can find it here. When God was forming a savior, he, just, he, he talked about the first fruits being dedicated to him. This included their crops, their wheat harvest, olive oil, wine, honey, sheep wool, income. He was saying the, pri- the, principle, the, pri- the, the, the principle of first shows who or what the, the, the priority is. And many of you, when you have it happen, it exposes your default. And for many of you, your default isn't to go to God first. When you feel stress, pressure, anxiety, pain, success, anger, depression, rage, betrayal, confusion, or fill in the blank, it exposes what your default response is. And what James is saying, instead of smoking first, drinking first, hitting the wall first, cussing first, having a one-night stand first, manipulating or controlling people first, binge eating first, that as you realize where your default is, you will say, okay, I need to, I need to switch this. Why? Because if I don't, I will be unstable. And many of you, this is why you keep hitting the wall in your faith and why your faith with Jesus feels like a stinking roller coaster. It's because there are things you know you need to give up and change, but you are being stubborn, flat out stubborn. And you want to be stable, but you won't even obey the clear commands of God. And here's the thing. Stableness comes with obedience. Because here's the thing, as you taste and see that God is good, it makes you put more faith and trust, but that comes with obeying first. It's been so enlightening. Two people this week, talking to them about relationships. They tried the dating thing. They tried the hookup, shack up, break up thing. They, they tried the way the culture tells them to go and find a spouse. And they said, when I ditched that and started to do things God's way, they told me about what happened. This one girl was like, man, when I brought... The next day, I got, I, got, I got a brand new promotion. This one girl, when, when I got off Tinder, not knocking Tinder, but be careful, my God. The Lord brought, brought to me a guy. We're doing things the right way. He prays over me every single night. And she said, God's way is better. I said, you're daggone right it is. Many of you know what God's way is, but you don't know it's better because you haven't actually lived it. And so you're unstable. And it's not because you're bad, it's because you need to grow. But part of growing is, is, is obeying even before you understand. You have to taste and see that the Lord is good, but you can't see that the Lord is good if you don't taste. My son Jackson, I'm sorry, so, so here's the thing, right? I am by myself with the boys for seven days. My wife left me, she didn't leave me, like totally, but she left me for a week. So I'm, so yesterday we were eating mangoes, 
I tried to get Jackson to eat a mango. They're amazing. Tried to get him to eat, nah, dad, no, no. Okay. Yesterday, I don't know what it, what it, what it was, a wild thing. I just said, hey, Jackson, hey, hey, Jackson, you want to try it one more time? Jackson took that thing, ate it. <laughs> this is what he did. <laughs> that is the best thing I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, I know. You should eat it more. But it was like he tasted and seen that the mango was good. What I'm saying is, is that when you go to God first, you put him first and you find his way is better. And my challenge is, is that some of you are not, will say it, but don't walk in it. And you are not walking in clear next steps to show that God is better. So what my encouragement to you would be, go to God first. Go to God first. Turn to somebody and say, go to God first. Instead of drinking first, smoking first, hitting the wall first, like put, go to God first. Why? Because he's radically available for you. It is an opportunity for growth. You're never alone in it. Go to God with it first. And lastly today, I want to remind you that there is a reward for those who endure it. And one of the things I don't think we talk about it enough in following Jesus is the rewards. Ain't that wild? How we can have this idea of, you know, and, you know, and sometimes pastors are the worst. Here you go, Jarvis, you go ahead and come up, bro, to keep me accountable. But we can be the worst because we can talk about the, the sacrifice and the pain it, it takes to follow Jesus, and we never talk about the results, or we never talk about the rewards. Y'all, I'm telling you, what James 1.12 says and what James is sure to put in when given some hard words, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Why? Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. There are eternal rewards. There are, there are temporary rewards. But at the heart of it, there are rewards. And what I just want to tell you is make sure you have the right reward system from God. Because if you only view rewards as God raining down benzes and homes and money, that might not be God's reward for everybody. And if you only interpret rewards through physical stuff, many of you will pass over some of the most important rewards. And really the, the two greatest rewards that we get from, from, from following and living this Jesus thing is number one, who we get, we get God. Let's not miss that us wanting something from him that we miss the fact that we get him. Isn't it wild? We can want so much from people's hands that we miss the, the, the people. Don't forget who you get as you serve God. You get God. You get who he is. His love, his grace, his kindness, his mercy. But then secondly, the greatest, the second is like who you become. Some of you. I I know you, and I've seen you transform and change. I know the pain you walked in here with. I know the shame, the guilt, and the condemnation, and just who you came in here with and what God has done in your life. And it is absolutely beautiful to see some of you free from bitterness and unforgiveness and shame and guilt. One of the rewards is who God transforms us into. 
And if he never did for us another thing, gave us another dollar, gave us another thing, the fact that we get God, we know him, and we're being transformed into his likeness, that's good enough, friends. Those are good enough rewards. And what I would say, yes, as you endure it, the best thing you get from enduring it is him and who you become. Everything else after that is a cherry on top. He might sprinkle in some money. He might sprinkle in some of this and some of that. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to let those things deter me from the greatest rewards I get from enduring it, him and who, and who I become. Is that good, fam? Come on, stand up with me. We're going to pray. We're going to receive... We're going to receive communion together, and I do want to pray for those walking through it today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 tells us, tells us this, and this is Paul writing to a church he planted in the city of Galatia. These are people who were tired. Paul said this, so let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. And here's the thing. If we don't give up. Every, every, everybody say that. If we don't, if we don't give, up. give up. He says that there is an appointed time. And I believe some of you are weary. You're tired. You're wanting to give in. You're wanting to give in to your triggers. Like you're wanting to go down the self-destructive path. And what I'm saying is that God has something better for you. And if you will hang on and you will endure and be reminded he's with you in it. It's an opportunity to grow in it. Go to God first within it. Remember the rewards in it. There is better waiting as you endure. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for those today. If you're walking through it and you're tired and you're ready to give in and go down these triggerish paths, I just want you to right now lift, lift a hand. Every eye can see. Yeah, just go ahead and lift it up boldly. Yeah. I want you to hold your hand up. I'm going to pray. Jesus, you see every hand. You see every hand that didn't go up, that someone didn't have the courage to put it up. I pray, Lord, that today's message would be like a line in the sand in their soul of them saying, Lord, I'm going to not be triggered. I'm going to be cued. Lord, I'm not going to be, have this delusion that I'm walking by myself. You're radically available to me. God, I'm not going to have a default that is anywhere outside of you. I'm going to go to you first. Lord, I am going to, by the power of your Holy Spirit, focus on the rewards. And know that as I endure, you'll give me strength to endure. I have a church community to rely on to endure. That as I endure, I know that as I endure, you're working in me to mature me and grow me into more of who you called me to be. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you know every hand up, you know every various kind of trial they're walking through, you know, God, you know it. And Lord, I pray, Lord, minister to them today. Breathe in them new strength. Breathe in them new perspective. Breathe in them new clarity. Breathe in them a breath of fresh air today to give them grace and strength to keep walking. For those parents who are tired and wanting to give up that are tired of, of just being tired <laughs> and just, it is, Lord, parenting, can, Lord, I just pray that you'd give them strength today. Those who are in the midst of a hard job situ situation around people or low pay, just 
and they're wanting to give up and give in and be triggered and just be unchristlike. Would you fill them today? God, those that are stuck in relational habits and and patterns and maybe they've received different relationships or they've got different family issues going on and they've got, Lord, just relational, Lord, they're, they're about to give up relationally. Maybe it's in their marriage, Lord, I pray. Lord, you would fill them today with a breath of fresh air. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, Just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.